right. How are you guys doing today? That's really, that's good. That's exciting. Well, hey, welcome to The Remnant. My name's Todd. I, uh, if it's your first time here, Aya doesn't mean anything. That is not my name. But if it's your first time here, we're in the midst of a series called The Kingdom. Um, I was thinking about today about how long this is going to go on. I decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to uh, maybe just one more week. And then I was like, I can't make that promise. So I'm sorry, I can't make that promise. Um, But what is it about? Well, it's about the kingdom of God. It's mentioned over 100 times in the New Testament through 10 different books. I'll say it every week because that's crazy. Here I go, ready? 100 times in 10 different books. Uh, So it must be important. We tend to think of it as just this kind of word we gloss over. I'm a Christian. Ha ha. And uh, (laughs) I don't know why you laugh when you say it, but that's what we do. And we tend to uh, sort of gloss over it. And I think there's a lot of powerful things about what, what it means to follow Jesus and the reality that we are going to live in in the future, but that we live in now. Make sense? If it doesn't, it will. No? I'm tricking you? I'll throw a podium. Let's wake up. All right, here we go. Let me ask you guys a question. And I do have to move today. I'm going to try my best, Jill, to keep it moving because if I don't, we're going to go late because I have a lot of scripture here. Am I echoey? No? Okay. Just to myself. That makes sense. Go along with the other voices. Anyway, what word do you associate with being a Christian? Jesus. Nice. What, what trait do you associate with Christians? Love. Loving. That's nice. So what trait do you, that comes to your mind immediately when you think of Jesus himself? Grace. Well, I'm sorry? Kind, yeah. Do you think that you can't say the same word? It's loving. Yeah, right? But all those are true. Those are beautiful and true, and that may be your thing. But all of those, right, are motivated by love. Every Christian that would call themselves a Christian throughout time, history, on the earth today, whether they're real or not, would say that love is the number one trait of a Christian, of Christ. Will we all agree on that? Give me a silent, affirming head nod if you agree. Great. The rest of you rebels... Don't listen to anything. Anyway, um, we're going to read. You're absolutely right. It's the most, everyone knows the most important commandments, right? Here we go. Now, this is what I say every week. And I had a dear friend. I think he's in the room. He's on the worship team. I won't say his name. It's David. He said last week, one of the things that he said, and I thought it was cool, really, really cool. He said, he was kind of explaining his view on things about the message and saying, man, it was in men's group. And he said, I... He started to say, you know, when I start taking my Christian ear, and he said, I don't want to say that. And I was like, why? And he goes, because it just, it just becomes a saying. And I, don't, I mean this more than that. But isn't that funny? So we create a saying to mean something, and then it just becomes more Christianese, which is meaningless. So I'm going to say this, and I hope that you hear it. I call it your Christianese earmuffs. These are the earmuffs that you have that you put on and you have on all the time because you know everything. You already know about this faith. You only come to church to kind of bless everybody else. You are not here to learn because you already know. Now, whether that's because you went to school or you've been a Christian since Sunday school, you just tend to do that. Me too. And so you hear things and they go in one ear, out the other, and you kind of nod and go, yeah, it's true, love. And go back to thinking about your bagel, right? So I want you to hear this today. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. This is Jesus. It's going to talk about Jesus. One of the scribes approached. Stop. So the scribe. A scribe, when it says that, essentially, I'm going to translate, very important religious person. All right? 
big wig. One of the scribes approached an expert. <clears throat> when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, people were coming and kind of trying to trick him, trying to see what he really believed. He asked him, which command is the most important of all? This is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. I, can't, I can already see the earmuffs. Take them off. Take them off. I know you know love. Take it off right now. See how you got yours off? Okay, good. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and that there is no one else except him. Boy, I could go into what was really happening here, but it has nothing to do with our point, so I have to stay on point. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. Huh. Resist the temptation to talk too deeply into this because there's just so much in here. But the gist of this is what we already know. Greatest commandments. Everyone, every Christian would agree, right? Who agrees? These are greatest commandments. If you don't, you don't believe in the Bible. I just tricked you. Why? Because I just read it. Why would you not raise your hand? Anyway, yeah, it, the greatest commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. I love this because Jesus knows you and he knows me. And listen, you're going to think this is crazy. Gina, you're going to find this shocking. The person that we love most, I won't say you. Me, I'll say Todd. So you know. The person that we love most is ourself. That's a, that's a fact. You protect yourself, take care of yourself, all of those things. So what Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, I want you to love your, I want you to love your neighbor the way you love the one you love most. Now he already told you in the first part who you should love most, but then he speaks to our, our flawed hearts. Every Christian would agree. I love that. And he says... It's funny, the scribe says, hey, it's far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And then Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom. <laughs> that you're getting it. That all of these things that you do in religion are meaningless without love. We all say it. If you're in the room and you think you get it, you're not listening yet. Gotcha. That's my one offensive thing for today. I probably won't say another thing. That's not true. See, I lied. I want to look at some stuff. So keep that in mind. We all agree. Yes, first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. Christian, do you believe it? You excited about it? Do you practice it? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> we got some honest people in the room. Yeah. Do you do it? <laughs> Got a new cup. It's not pink. I want to show. I want to show. I want to show you some stuff for real. Let's focus. Hey, and I will say this. If I was woke, I would tell you that trigger warning coming. So I'm serious though. So whatever that means to you, I will say that the images I'm about to show you, some of them are kind of graphic. All right. So you're not going to offend me if you look away. But I encourage you to look because it's reality. All right. I want to show you something. Go ahead, guys. So if you're in youth group this week, you'll know that we talked about this picture. Now, uh, I'm, I'm kind of helping the youth group right now. And awesome, awesome kids. 
This picture is a Pulitzer, Watt, Pulitzer Prize winning picture from 1994. It was actually taken in 93. Um, the story is, and I stumbled upon this. It's a long story. Tim Tebow was talking about it, which I almost glossed over. I love Tim Tebow, but I was like, eh. But I saw this picture, and it grabbed my heart. Now, those of you in the room, it's probably far away, but hope you can see that this, this child is emaciated. You see that? Starving. Now, the story is very interesting because the photographer that took it told us exactly what's happening. This is in Sudan, in Africa. Now, at the time, Sudan is almost entirely reliant on organizations to feed their people, at least at the time. Meaning, I want to hear that again. If, if these organizations don't give food, people starve to death. Oh, that's nice. See, we're so Americanized, man. Starve to death. Me too. I had, I had to open my eyes to some reality. So this, what's happening here is this child, I believe, is five years old. Yeah, four or five years, five years old. And he, what they were doing is Sudan invited a lot of photographers in because they know that we as humans tend to forget reality. So they wanted them to come in and take pictures of what's going on to motivate who? Us. Not Christians. Americans. Right? The first world even. We need aid here. So the photographer that went here, but they were told they're not allowed to interfere. Don't get involved with the people. You're just there to observe and show people what's going on. That's the rule. Okay? That's how you get to stay. The photographer was asking what was going on. So essentially what was happening is this child was slowly making their way to a food tent to be given a piece of bread, a little bit of rice. And because they didn't have any energy, they would stop. She would stop and fall, gather her energy again, get back up and crawl a little farther. In this country, it's so common for people and children to starve to death that the vultures will land on the ground, they don't even circle, and they just hop and follow. And what they're waiting for is the inevitable. So that's what you're seeing here. That vulture is however many feet as it follows this child to get to eat. Now, the photographer says he shooed it away one time, which he, and then he had to leave. He had to get on his, his helicopter and fly away. So he wins the Pulitzer Prize in 1994. This is a powerful image, right? This is actually one of the top 100 images that changed the world. Uh, he killed himself later that year in 94 after winning the Pulitzer Prize. His reasoning and his suicide note, he, though he did not reference this specifically, said, among others, his own life, he said, the images that I have seen haunt me. That, that the reality of this world is too much, you know, and then his own life as well. 94. Go ahead and move on. Forgive me. Uh, <clears throat> boy, if I get emotional too. So this was taken in, uh, this is a little boy. His name, I'm going to butcher it, is Abdo Saeed, four years old. This was taken in January of this year, 2021. You guys see that? Probably hard to see from close up, but clearly emaciated. Um, Yemen is you know, in a lot of trouble. I don't know if a lot of you even know where that's at, and that's okay, me either. But they're going through a lot. So uh, I found out something interesting. As you look at him, if you can see up close, he's sort of just chilling. Right? He's awake, and uh, he's been taken to a hospital for severe malnutrition, starving to death. 
And I don't know if you understand what happens when you starve yourself, when you're, someone starves to death, truly starves to death, uh, but your body cannibalizes itself, right? Um, so he was taken here, and I remember being kind of shocked, and I looked up, looked the science up of this. Did you know that starving children don't cry? This is, this is a fact. Starving children don't cry because the body, a starving body, doesn't waste energy and calories on tears. It won't do it. So oftentimes when you see a starving child, you're like, oh, they seem okay, and they look kind of at peace almost or ap- apathetic, right? Not in pain, but that's because it's directing every single calorie to keeping the major organs functioning. There's no energy to cry. So though we see these pictures... You know, you see the, the crying children sometimes, and those are, it doesn't make it any less, but there's a certain point you get to when you're starving to death when you don't cry anymore. And unfortunately, because I happen to know the background, uh, Abdo here uh, died soon after this picture was taken. Go ahead and move on, guys. Now, this one really gets me. I'm going to butcher <laughs> this name, so forgive me. But this is... Haboa Selange Bue, uh, four-week-old. That's a four-week-old child. Four weeks old. Hits pretty close to home for me. From Burkino Faso, which is, if you didn't know, I didn't either. That's in Western Africa. This was taken June 11th of 2020, so just last year. Now the story, um, her mother... His mother, sorry, had a market where they sold things. Well, coronavirus can't have a market. Might spread it. Might die. So you're already struggling to get by, and now you have no way to make ends meet. I don't know what happened to him. Isn't it funny? He doesn't look four, four weeks old, does he? Looks like he's like five or something in a way, right? Just a smaller person because there's no baby fat on there. Four weeks old. You know, a lot of times you guys see these images, and I know you see them, and you tell yourself what I tell myself, that if I saw this, I would do something. I would feed them. You'd take care of them. I'd hold them. That's why sometimes you'll give, we do mission trips. That's good. We'll go there for two weeks. We'll build a place, give some water. All that's good. We'll send money across, across the way. Right? That's all good. If we were there, if we were just there, if us in this church today, if the remnant, if those watching, if we were there, we would be the hands and feet of Jesus. Go ahead, guys. This is in America. This is in the U.S. Um, Taken last year. I know you can't see it real well. um, But that house, this is actually where they're, they're at. This is a mother with a child. And I will agree, comparatively to Western Africa, it looks a little healthier, right? But is it? But this is right here, right next door. But hey, if, 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 they, if we were there, if God's people was here, we would do something. Or would we say, well, if that mother would just get a job. Go on. That's in America. What's in? This is also in America. That's a little girl 
in her house where she lives, her apartment. That's where she spends every day. We would do something though, right? Hands and feet of Jesus. We would be there because that's where he would be. And sometimes we do go there for a couple weeks. Okay, go on. You won't be able to read this, so I have to read it for you. This is from this year, uh, yeah, around Christmas. It might have been, I can't remember exactly, but it says, I'm a 10-year-old boy. I want, this is turned into one of these local, I want school snacks, so I'm not the only one not eating during snack time at school. I wear a size 12, and I like Pokemon. Hands and feet of Jesus. If we were there, if only we were there. What's the next, guys? I'm a boy, same thing. I'm six years old. This Christmas, I want food. I want food. An army man. <laughs> Thank you. I love you, Santa. I'm a girl, 11 years old. This Christmas, I want warm blankets and a coat. I have a single bed. I like the color blue. I wear a size 6, and I am a nice person. Because <laughs> maybe if she's a nice person, we'll move. Because she's not nice, she doesn't deserve it, right? I'll give you guys a statistic. In the richest country the world has ever seen that you live in, in the richest country the world has ever seen. More than 13 million American children live in poverty. And I, I had this and, and are hungry. <laughs> but hey, they should, they should get a job. Jobs everywhere. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying, well, the children can't, right? I mean, even if we, and by the way, there's, there's some truth to that. But what we don't understand is like the, the, the phrase, the sins of the father. Everybody thinks, you know, there's weirdos out there that think that means if I do something bad, my, my child's affected. What it really means is the mistakes you make affect your children. So while we focus on, man, if that adult would just take care of their business, their children starve and don't have blankets. But maybe if they're a nice person, someone will come and give them a blanket. How is this possible in this country? Now, I know the excuses you make. I guarantee some of you are slightly irritated because you feel I'm personally calling you out. I don't know you. I, don't, I didn't say your name. But yes, I'm part of the problem. Well, I'm not part of the solution. Maybe that's a better way. And I doubt you are either. How is this possible, though, in the richest country in the world where the kingdom of God, there's churches on every single corner. There's 200 and some churches, last I checked, just in this small Indiana county. How is it that there's kids that go to bed hungry here? And before you say, Todd, that doesn't happen, I worked for a teen center for five years. Don't tell me it doesn't happen. I know it happens. How is that possible? Hey, they know where the churches are. They can go get help. They know where the food banks are. How is this possible? We know that isn't in the kingdom. I ju we just read it. 
The kingdom says that we love God and we love others, and all the burnt offerings and all the church services are meaningless without it. We know that love doesn't allow people to starve, to be hungry even, right? If you give even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, Jesus said, prove yourself to be mine. We all say we would do something if we saw these people in Africa, and yet we see them here, we see the ones here, and we we don't move. And friends, unless you went out this week and spent even an hour looking for the hungry and the poor, you didn't look. Accept that. I had to. We say that we would do something if we saw these people, but the truth is, I would help that child in Africa. Maybe you would the first time. Maybe you would the first year. But at what point would you walk by, if you were in the same shoes you are now, and say, nah, I've done it for a year, next time. How long would it be before you became numb to it? We don't. We don't help those in need. You know why? Because sometimes the hurt, the broken, the hungry, the lonely, they don't always cry. They know where the churches are. They know where the food banks are. They need help, they'll ask me. They don't always cry, though. They don't always do that. What does the kingdom think about love? What does the kingdom think about real love? And what does that have to do with those who don't cry? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 12, verses 27 to 36. We're going to talk about love a little more and we'll connect this for you, hopefully. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, 27 through 36 says this. But I say to you who listen... Love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you. I had it wrong, nice. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. If I gave you the wrong reference, it doesn't matter, just read the scripture. Give to everyone who asks you, and from one who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. There we go again. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those with whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Be merciful, right, when they ask. So, Todd, what does this have to do with things? Stay with me. Listen, we, those of the kingdom are called to love, and this is shocking. You have to understand what Jesus is saying. This is not about just loving your enemies. It's not about that. It's about love in general. Let's think through this. Those of the kingdom are called to even love their enemies. How so? How do they love their enemies? Well, if someone takes your coat, give them your shirt. 
If someone asks you for, for something, give it to them. And if someone takes it from you, don't ask for it back. And just as others do for you, do the same to them, to your enemies. You have enemies, people you hate. Hey, can I have 100 bucks? Can I have 100 bucks? My enemy asked me for 100 bucks. Do I, excuse me, do I want to be motivated to help them? No. And this is a powerful statement. And what, so what Jesus does here is he makes this kind of parallel and he says, Oh, I see. You think that I'm calling you to love like the world does. How do I know that? Listen to this. This is so powerful. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners love those who love them. Listen, serial killers love someone. They, or they think they do. Do you, do you not get that? Do you know Hitler Love someone? Love someone who loved them back, that gave to them? He's saying that doesn't make you different from the domain that you've been moved from. Then he goes on to say, and if you lend to those, if you do what, if you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? He says essentially the same thing again. You think because you do good, if people do good to you, that means anything? The world does that. People that aren't mine do that. They do, right? Yes? Are you with me? Of course they do. And then he goes, if you lend, this is, ooh boy, Americans. Dave Ramsey. Listen to this. Oh man, I just made an enemy. Dave Ramsey, you got great principles. I'm just, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners as long as they're repaid in full. No, you ain't listening. That didn't hit you. I know for a fact that many people in this room wouldn't do that. Give that hundred bucks to your enemy and expect him not to pay you back. And be like, it's cool. And that's the kind of radical love. So what does this all mean? What's Jesus really saying? He's, he's essentially saying, listen, this is the kind of love I'm telling you to do. Your enemies you should treat this way. You ready? How should you treat those we're just indifferent to? If you treat people you hate this well, we have the continuum, hate, apathetic, love. You with me? We all know how we love those who love us. We don't even do that very well often, do we? How do I know? Spouses? How well do you love your husband or wife all the time? But hey, you do something. You saw that kid starving, but you can't be nice to your husband when he's having a grumpy day. <laughs> Vice versa, right, guys? Boy, you would really go in there and you would help, but she burns your spaghetti. Love? Enemy, I'm going to give them my coat. I'm going to lend them money without asking anything in return. I'm going to be good to them even though they're not good to me. What would I do for the indifferent? How far would I go? Are you understanding? Give me something. How far would you go for, for someone that maybe doesn't cry? Depends on what they're going to do with the money, right? What if they take that money and buy drugs? I can't give that homeless person. I've seen him there three times. We'd rather... Shoot sheep just so we keep out wolves. That's so true within the church and in the society. I personally would rather give $100 to someone who's conning me than not give $100 to a starving person. Okay, let's keep going. All right, well, what does love mean? So you're saying, Todd, okay, we're supposed to love our enemies. That's all great, right? But I, we need to define this. 
Because we have a lot of misconceptions about what that is. Now, here's another parable that I'm going to lose you. So here's your reminder today. i got to stop being so sarcastic. I love you guys and believe me. Here's your reminder to take your Christian earmuffs off. I'm going to tell you that right now because this one's very famous. But listen to this. The parable of the Good Samaritan. All right. Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. Just then an expert in the law. Here we go again. An expert in religion, in the faith. Stood up to test him, capital H, who is that? Jesus, that's right. Saying, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here it is again. What is it written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Stop. You you didn't need to remember that, did you? You didn't remember this connection to that parable. I bet you didn't. You thought he went right into that parable. See? Christian, you must. Me too. Christian spy glasses. I don't know. He answered them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told them. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself. <laughs> I just want to throw some. You hear that? Like in excitement, not anger. Boy, if this isn't us. I just told you a justification. Hey, I don't know what that homeless guy is going to do with this money. He'll pr- I mean, he could buy meth. I'm, I'm protecting him. Real love says you can't make a good decision. So I, I and my Ford will choose to protect you from the bad case of money. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> who do I have to love? Are you with me? Is anyone staying with me? Give me something, yeah? This is exciting. Thanks. Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, Passed by on the other side. Levite, just think of another priest. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Those are expensive. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of the three, man, I love Jesus. I always make you cry. Which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Man, it's a bummer. And I mean myself that we as Christians come in here with our ear muscle. There's so much in here. So, so much in here. Give you a little context before we go on. You got to understand that a Levite and a priest, those are the pastors and the good pastors. They're the good ones, the ones we know. That'll help us. The good Christian, you know it, right? I mean, you see them on every Sunday. They do all the right things. They got the, the nice house, three and a half kids. I never understood that, right? The nice Tahoe, whatever. That's still a nice car. Uh, Was it ever? I don't know. So that's what they were. The Samaritan would be the complete opposite. 
We don't understand this. It's why the, the, what Jesus did with the Samaritan woman is so shocking and why this story would be so shocking to the person, to this priest. What he said was, all of a sudden, these, these people walked by, and this Samaritan, what was this Samaritan? Forgive me, because they would think this a mongrel, a mixed breed. They had bred with the pagans, and they had, even though they, they worshipped the same God, they believed that the temple should be here, and the good Jews knew it to be here. They were unclean. You don't talk to them. That's why it's so shocking that Jesus, you would literally take the long way to avoid their land, to avoid their city. They knew what this meant. This was not a good person. This was a bad person. So in our terminology, this is not a Christian. So what do we see here? Well, the good people walked by their enemy. They walked by. Why? Well, there could have been a lot of reasons. The rules say that he could have been unclean. We don't know anything about the man. He might have been bleeding. He might have been, we just says a man. It could have been another Samaria. We don't really know. But we know this much. Whatever, they were not motivated. In fact, I can think it might be unclean, meaning, oh yeah, in case you're not, unclean would mean like you could kind of catch some of their sin if you touch them. So essentially, it's funny, people giggle and laugh and they do the same things around here. I'm telling you right now. right, just different ways. You just identify the sin your own way. Right? So for me, I mentioned this, I'll confess, I'm the arrogant guy slayer. If you're arrogant, I slay you, and in turn I become arrogant. You see what I'm saying? I define that arrogance is the worst, and thus I become what I hate. Anyway, so they walk by, he's unclean. That, that, I kind of gather that from the fact it says he went to the other side of the street, right? i got to stay away from this guy. Maybe he was a leper. We don't know. Then the other priest comes by, and he does the same thing. The good, the other pastor and then a Samaritan came on his journey, to, on his journey, came to him on his journey. That meant he had somewhere to go. Pulled up in his Tahoe. He was late for work, maybe. And he went, and when he saw the man, he had compassion and called 911 and drove away, knowing he did a good deed. Had to make it to work on time. That's not what happened, as you see if you're listening. Some of you are like, yeah, amen. No. <laughs> No, he went over, he was moved, he had compassion. He went over to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine, put him in his own car, brought him to an inn and took care of him. Every step is another extreme step. I will bandage your wounds, but I won't stop there. It will have a cost. I'll use my expensive stuff on you. Then I will put you dirty and bleeding in my nice Tahoe. Then I will take you to the end, but I don't just drop you off. I take you to the room. I lay you down, and I take care of you. I pull your boots off and your shoes. I clean the blood off of you. I try to give you some soup, maybe. I tuck you in. I turn the fan on. If you're me, I love the fan. Whatever it is, he took care of him. Then I slowly and quietly turn the light off, shut the door, go to the innkeeper, pay him, who knows, a week's worth of wages, and I'll be back after work, and I'll pay anything extra. At what point would you have defined I've done enough? At what point would I? The good people that walked by were being good Christians, were being good religious people. They were. We don't know the situation. They were following the rules. Well, we don't have those. We don't? Well, let me tell you the rules of a Christian that we believe is high and mighty. Christians work. You provide for your family, first and foremost. So what if it affects you? What if it affects your hours, your money? 
We've got to have a good reputation. We have to be in the world, but not of it. Maybe I can change this for you. You're driving along Fort Wayne and see a prostitute on the ground. Me, how about Todd, the pastor? Do I put her in my car? I don't know if I do. Because you guys don't need much to say that I'm a sinner. I got to protect my image. I got to be above reproach. I pray if you're in this room, you're not arrogant about this and thinking you're above all the rest of them because I'm telling you, in doing that, you prove yourself to be one. I don't know if I would. What do we take? Listen, those religious people would have said that they were doing the right thing. I can't put her in my car. I can't. I mean, I'll call. I can't really be seen on this side of town. People are going to say, (laughs) and before you say that's not true, Todd, let me be real. I love that example. It's not in my notes. All of a sudden, people go, well, that's really cool that Todd did that What was he doing in that part of town? Tell the truth. What's he doing in that part of town? It doesn't matter what I say. How many times are you afraid to love because of the consequences it will be, it will take? I love it, man, because it's not frustration. I'm learning as I, as I repent and learn of the kingdom and the areas that I need to grow that sometimes my, my, my heart and my passion can be angry. So when I say this, I don't be angry. Guys, I want us to wake up. Even as we sit here, yeah, that's me. And then I go, yeah, but you're the one that doesn't want your husband to send fi- spend $5 on a little Debbie's cake. <laughs> but you think that you're going to give money to a poor person? It doesn't fit your budget. I'm going to say it again. It doesn't fit your budget. You say your wife stops and gets herself a coffee at the gas station. That's out of budget. You scream at her, but you think you're going to give a dollar to someone hurting? That doesn't fit your budget. We have to be realistic, not to stay down here, but to recognize and be motivated to remember who we really are, that we are of the kingdom, the true kingdom of God. Not the kingdom that we pretend to make, not the ones the religious people build out in the street made of cardboard, but we are of the true kingdom. We don't live in gray light. Reference to another sermon, go watch it. Fake light. We have to accept it. Let's take it closer. I would do it, I would help that person on the ground. Okay. Do you love your husband when he's not lovable? Do you respect him or do you yell at him? Do you shame him? Do you remind him of his sins? Do you treat him like a boy? Do you yell at him? How about, how about the other way around? Hey, guys, I would do it. I'm a man of God. But your wife's scared to talk? Well, I don't hit her. No, you don't have to. Your words do that for you. You yell, you scream. You complain, you make your family walk on eggshells, and yet you think you'd be motivated by love when you can't be motivated by at home to love your spouse, but you think you're going to love your enemy? Your neighbor isn't in Africa. Your neighbor's next door. Why do you think he said that? I love the angry people in the room. I love it. I may never see you again, but I like making you mad. Because maybe you'll leave here and you'll actually meet Jesus. The truth is, This whole thing wasn't just about kids in Africa or starving kids here. It is about your definition of love and when you choose to give it. 
It's all or nothing. Do you love your friend that makes the same mistake over and over, or do you have to be the great judge and teacher? They have to learn. And how do they learn? With your harsh words and stern teaching. Right? I mean, let's be realistic. The person that commits adultery, the drug addict, the alcoholic, I've helped them ten times. I'm enabling them. Make no mistake, friends, we are not standing with Jesus teaching about love. We are with the Pharisees and the Levites and the priests. We are, being the, we are the ones being called out for our hypocrisy. Who are being, we are to look in the mirror of Christ, in the kingdom's mirror, and if you're going to sit in the room and say you'd feed the starving kid in Africa, that you'd give him a hug, that you'd take care of the person in Appalachia, what's that, Kentucky, where I'm from, but keep sending your money to the inner city while they starve. That's personal. But you say all of that, and yet you can't love your spouse? We got to wake up. That's like saying, you know, telling me to get up right now and go win the Boston Marathon. I'll do it tomorrow. I can run. Well, dude, you might want to go run a mile first, right? You might want to go run a lap. Some of y'all need to run a, a lap before you sit there and say you'd win the marathon. Can you love people you disagree with? Can you love your kids when they're not being lovable? We have to see this. Now the beauty is not to keep you in shame because here's the truth. It doesn't matter how you've been acting up to this point. You know, one of the hard things is we are sent into the domain of darkness, aren't we, into the world, and we're called to be light and salt. And Jesus warns us, don't lose your saltiness. You know, don't put a lampshade over your light. And, what, you know, we always take that as this, like, scary. Don't do that. And he warns us. It's hard to follow him. It is hard to do that. And, you know, a lot of good meaning people, I think the people in this room, I don't know some of you, but most of you I know are well-intentioned, good people. And you, you want to love and you want to do good and you do. But the truth is you begin to justify your lack of love. By pointing out the areas you do love, here's the truth. The areas you don't love are what show your heart. Those are the areas that Christ wants. Stay with me. And when I mean by show your heart, because those are the areas that still need cleaned up. Remember what Christ said. Why are, they came and said, why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors? He said, I have come for the sick, not the healthy. What did that mean? We all know that all... Everyone's a sinner based on his definition. So what it meant is those who can admit they are. I can help you as long as you don't say you can see. I can, I can show you the way. Every single person in this room, all of us, I'll start with me. This is one of those that every single one of us should be repenting in some capacity. Even if the repentance is just saying, Lord, forgive me for not moving and for waiting for people to cry when I should be looking for those who don't. That's what I love about, you know, the Great Commission. Changed my life. We know it typically as go and make disciples of all nations, and that's good, and we, we get the command in there. But I actually love the translation, the way it really should be translated, which is as you go. Wherever you go, whatever you do, Proclaim the good news of the gospel. Be a kingdom worker. 
bring light. When you're in the gas station, when you see this prostitute in the side of the road, when your spouse isn't nice to you, um, when your pastor lets you down, right? When your kid keeps messing up. It's dangerous territory to say, yeah, I'm really mean to my child, but I mean, I give them a good house. I rescued them. I love them. I take care of them. They should be happy with what they get. You see how subtle that is? And sometimes those are truths, aren't they? That, that's true. You might, I might tell the kid if I'm talking to them in the room, hey, you should be thankful for what you have. But that's not the message for you. Listen, love, we see in the Good Samaritan when Jesus says, I love it at the end, he said, hey, which one of these proves to be a neighbor? Because he's saying, who's a neighbor? A neighbor is anyone in need. Close to you? Who proved, who proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? Who was it? The one who showed mercy to him, he said, then Jesus told him, go and do the same. <laughs> that's, not, that's not a parable. That last part is a command. I want you to love like this. Now, you want to know what I believe? I want to sh- I'm going to show my naivety here. I, be- I am actually <laughs> underneath. I-, I fib to you guys. I confess. I've lied to you. I am not a pessimist. I'm an optimist. But I've become a jaded optimist. I mean, that's going to sound weird. What do I mean by that? I mean, I truly believe. You th- you're going to look at my face and be able to tell this because I'm not great at lying. I truly believe we can change the world. I truly believe that. Call me idiot, call me dumb, that's cool. I truly believe that, that we can change the world, that the church, the bride of Christ, no, we will not fix sin. We already know it. We won't make the world perfect, but I believe we can change the world. I believe we can alter the landscape in which we live. I believe that we can truly bring light to dark places. I believe that. The problem is, is that the enemy, we have one, who has infiltrated our culture, who has allowed the world to come in, has made us realists. And so we accept the hurt and pain around us as a byproduct of a sinful world instead of dark areas in which we can show light. I know. I told you guys I'm just going to start talking like me. Those that know what I'm talking about know what I'm talking about. We can change the world. You can change. I'm telling you this. Optimus Todd, he may go away soon, so you got to talk to him now. You have the ability this week to change the trajectory of someone's life. You don't believe that. I promise you. It might be your spouse. It might be your child. It might be a coworker. It might be the stranger at the gas station. But I promise you this. I'll say it boldly. You have this week, from today on, moving forward, you can change the trajectory of one life if you're willing. How do you do it? Well, let's listen. What we take when he says, go and do the same, we find out that love is not a teaching. Love is not you deciding when and how. You ready? Love is not a word to describe what someone should be. Love must Move one to action, or it's just a word. Love in the kingdom, as defined by the kingdom, must, must move one, must move us to act. 
Love with no action is not love. You with me? You need me to throw a podium? I've never done it. But why is it that I go to threats? That's not loving. It's not, in my mind, just, you know, I'm not hitting you with the podium. It's just shattering, and everybody's going, <gasps> like, I just want to make that clear. Some of you are probably like, why is he threatening to hit me? I'm not trying to hit you. Listen, love must move one to action, or it's just a word, and this is very important from the parable. It's telling you how. Are you ready? Stay with me. Are you with me? Give me a nod. You ready? This is important. This is where I tie it back. This is, you ready? You're not going to believe this. Love must move one to action, or it's just a word. We must be willing to act in love and in love even when they don't cry. The man on the ground that was beaten by the robbers didn't cry. He was half dead. He couldn't. Well, he knows where the town is. He's half dead. (laughs) The man did not cry. The Samaritan didn't wait for the man to ask for help. He didn't wait for a call from the guy's mom. He didn't wait for 911. He was motivated by compassion and love to do something. To act. Love without action. It's just a nice word to make you feel good about who we are. It's an action. I'm going to give you a list, and I'm going to get you out of here. (laughs) You want to love the silent? Do you really? Because in loving the silent is loving like the kingdom. Here we go. Number one, thing to take from today, the most important law of the kingdom is love. I'll say it again. The most important law of the kingdom of love, making money for your family is not the most important law of the kingdom. You can give your family anything and leave them with nothing. That's That's deep. But what I'm really, or corny, but either way, what I'm saying is, you can give them the world, but what if, they, what if they aren't loved? What if they're lonely and broken? The most important law of the kingdom is love. You say you believe that, yes? Give me an amen, give me a clap, give me something. Good, I want to know you're here. Thank you. We don't get to decide, number two, we don't get to decide who is worthy of that love in any moment. That includes your spouse, your kid, your wife, your dog, well, maybe, all right? You don't get to, by the way, I've all, <laughs> some of you would be more patient, forgiving, and kind to a dog that bit you than you would to your spouse, to your friend, anyone. That's a fact. I'd be curious. I'd love to look up the money from uh, whatever those animal commercials are with that lady singing that really sad song. You know what I'm talking about. Versus like feeding the hungry. Who has more money? I would, I'm going to look that up someday. That'd be interesting. I don't know if I want to know. We don't get to decide who's worthy of that love. You don't get to decide because you don't like me. If I'm bleeding on the street, whether to stop. What about your boyfriend and girlfriend that broke your heart? What about this? I- I'm picking whatever hits you. Did you know that you don't get to decide that you're not worthy of love? You know, sometimes we put our faith in Christ and we don't accept love for ourselves and we get to tell God, no, I don't deserve it. He's spinning the sun on his finger and he's like, oh, you're telling me who deserves what, right? You get it? He made everything so it's silly to tell him what to do. Eh. We don't get to decide. It's, It's our neighbor, which means what? It's the person you don't want to love. You start there. Well, I love, I love my wife really well when she's loving me well, when she's respectful. 
Oh, the dude that beats his wife doesn't beat her when she does what he says. When my husband's a good boy, I pet him. I take care of him, and I let him have cuddle time. But if not, he doesn't get rewarded. Hey, ladies, I love it. It makes you mad. It's a fact. By the way, guys, never mind. It's a different. Number three, kingdom love is defined by action, period. So we know that the most important law is is love. We know that we don't get to decide who gets that love. And then we see that love is what? An action. It is an action. Number four is similar to it. Service is love in motion. I like that. You ready? What does that mean? You want, now you understand, the greatest among you will be a servant to all. Why does he say service is so important? Because it's love in action. When I'm scrubbing your nasty feet, when you're cleaning the urinal, right? When, it doesn't matter, when I forgive, when I help you, when I move, when I see someone that has a need and I move into it, it is motivated by love and compassion. Service is so important to Jesus, to the kingdom, because it's just the byproduct of love. It is love in motion. It's what proves and separates the love of the world from the love of Christ. Christ didn't just say, you guys are sinners and need help. He moved into our world to serve us and to love us. Did you know even on his important mission to save us from our sin, he took the time to heal the sick and to feed the hungry? Do you hear that? He didn't wait for them to cry. When he was sitting on the mountaintop, on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the, the people weren't saying, I'm hungry, give us bread. It says Jesus looked and saw that they hadn't eaten for a long time and had compassion on them. <laughs> and then looked at his disciples and said, we got to do something. And they're like, we don't have anything. He's like, I'm about to show you something. Where's that loaf of bread? I'm always assuming Peter's like, Jesus, he's an idiot. Yeah, okay, Jesus, here it is. Service is love and motion. She's going to play some music and we'll close up here. I want you to consider this, very short, sweet, and simple, but this message should hit, if you walk out of here today not in some way motivated to change, if you walk out of here thinking that you are good at this, then you've missed the point because that's the beauty of this call. We'll never arrive, <laughs> but we'll all, we can be a little better than we were, right? Until you hang on a cross for people that hate you, until you're willing to do that, you haven't arrived yet. Let me ask these questions. Do you love people like someone from the kingdom or do you just talk about it? Is your love a verb or a name tag? Does it motivate you? Will you stop talking about loving people? I don't want to hear it from you until you can love your spouse. Well, I think I love them. That's fair. Why don't you ask them? You see, when we, we like to define love ourselves and say, well, I'm doing a good job. That's like looking at that starving kid and giving him a grain of bread and saying, look how much I love him. While you hold a piece of bread in your hand. The act is defined by the need. And love moves to meet the need. It doesn't move to make you feel good. 
Do you love people like someone from the kingdom or you just talk about it? Is your love a verb or just a name tag? Will you begin to look for the hurting and let your love move you to action? Not just if they come to your food bank. Not just if they ask, but will you love the ones who don't even know how to cry? It's hard to believe sometimes, but there are people in this world that you think they wouldn't move to the food bank or go get it. They didn't know. When I grew up, I didn't know there were, I mean, thank the Lord, you know, I didn't have to go there, but I mean, I didn't know there were places. I remember in high school having my eyes open, I was on student council and I had to do this Christmas thing and I will never forget it. Yeah, music, there we go. I will never forget it, but here's the thing. When we had this bunch of Christmas gifts and it was really cool, I liked the way it worked, is that instead of just giving it to them, you let them come in and shop. Has anyone ever done anything like that? It's awesome. I loved it. So we set up this store and we let people come in with their carts and they could have, essentially they had this limit and they could buy gifts for their kids and it took away that shame of like, you're going to get what you can get. We do that, right? My kid's 15. Yeah, you take this, you know, whatever, whatever little teething ring. Be happy about it. Tell him it's a Frisbee. And I remember at the end of it, this man came at the very end. And I, 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 it's so funny looking back because I promise I didn't go in there with the right attitude. I just want to get it done. I was like on a Saturday morning. And this guy comes in at the end, and, I, and man, he was so, I, I, this guy, I can see him. He walked in, and you could see the shame on his face. And when I look back, I know why he waited to the end. Hopefully nobody sees him, right? But unfortunately, if you wait to the end, you know, when it starts to get to the end, we just start letting people take what they want. And so he had to pick from what was left. And I see this guy walking through, picking these, these toys up. And telling me, you know, you're like, hey, how you doing? I didn't ask. And he said something like, yeah, you know, I got laid off last, you know, last month. You know, I don't know how this works. You know, I've done this before. I don't need to explain to you why he was saying that. But you know what? You're actually, you probably take the lesson wrong here. The lesson wasn't that I got to be a part of loving this man. The lesson was watching this man love his kids that he was motivated to go into his shame so that they could have a Christmas. I don't know if he was of the kingdom, but he showed me Jesus that day. Who are the people in your life that aren't crying but need help? Who are the starving and broken? And Lord, I pray that, if, that we can be motivated to make a real difference in West Africa, that we could find a way, and there are people that are, and all the in Yemen and all these places, but my God, people, we have got to start looking at our here in this town, in this community. Stop thinking this is a problem outside of here. It's here, whether it's hunger or poverty or just loving touch. When I worked at the teen center, we had all these fancy things and we would spend grant money because you got to on the new pool table and the ping pong table and the video games. I'm not just saying this as, as a, I don't know, a lesson, it's a fact. They rarely played with any of those. Rarely. All their time was spent with the people who was loving them. Their biggest need wasn't being able to play the new Wii game or whatever it was. It was to be seen and loved, to be given time, which is the one thing we find more valuable than anything else. I'll give a hundred bucks, but don't ask me for an hour. 
Whatever the need is, are you willing to meet that? Because they don't always cry. Sometimes they do. So I don't know. Will you look this week to serve your family, your friends, your church, then your community? See, remember I told you changing the world? Then we say, I don't, I'm not waiting for the big churches to tell me where to go. I'm not waiting for this church. I, myself, singularly, I'm not waiting for the church program or the new nonprofit. I am going to go out, and I'm going to find those that aren't crying, and I'm going to love them. And if I run into some that are crying on the way, nice. It's a little easier. I'll love them too. Let's do this. It has to start with you. It has to start with me. If you don't know, if you're in this room and you don't know who Jesus is, really simple. He made the world perfect. He made you to be his image bearer. You were made in the image of God even today. With all my flaws, absolutely. He, made, he gave one rule. No, he didn't. He gave a hundred. No, he gave one. He said, I'm God, you're not. Do what I say. I'm the one who tells you what right and wrong is. And we said, no, nah, I'd rather be the one to do that. And guess what's come out of that? Starving children, disease, war, death. All of those things have come when the creation decides they are the creator. That's the gospel. We have messed it up. We're in a burning building that we set on fire and we don't have a way out. And we've forgotten it's on fire because we've got the TV loud and got our friends and our girlfriend and boyfriend and our husband and wife and our Tahoe, right? And at the end of the day, but we know something's wrong. You know when you lay down and look at the ceiling at night, why am I so empty? Because you need someone to fill your need even if you don't know what you're crying about. The gospel isn't about cleaning yourself up. Jesus didn't come to tell you all the ways that you failed just so that you, he could say clean yourself. He said, here's all of the brokenness in you and you can't fix it, but I will. And so on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth existed, told us how to live in the kingdom, showed us how to love. He died on the cross. God himself, God invaded this dark world. It doesn't have to make sense to you. And on the cross, he died. And the Father, God, turned his back on him because he bore our sin. He took our punishment because our sin, our rejection of God, deserves death. It's a death sentence. Well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person too. Can I come into your house and shoot your family and take your money if I've been good the rest of the year? Justice is justice. There is no justifying in front of a holy God. The standard is perfection. So he died on the cross. He rose from the dead for, uh, after three days. And he said this. He said, you can have eternal life. You can be healed. I will show you the way of the kingdom. I will make you light in a dark world. I will take your shame and your brokenness. I will heal you even when you weren't crying. I will do all of these for you, but you must do one thing. You must reverse the decision you made. You must say, I am God. You are God, Jesus. I am not. It's very simple how you have real life, eternal life, because we will all face judgment. You will. Tomorrow's not promised, so what do I do, Todd? I gotta clean my life up? No, you gotta do a very simple thing that's very hard to do. The Bible says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Well, it doesn't make sense to me. Who cares? Faith means stepping when it doesn't. You have to say it to put down your pride. That's it. That's the gospel. Even when you weren't crying, he's here right now today. When you didn't know you had a need, he's saying, I've got you. 
There'll be people up here willing to pray for you. You'll have five, ten minutes to respond to God in whatever ways you feel the need. If nothing else, if you're in this room, you're like, I've got all this down, then would you do me a favor? I mean that. Would you pray that God's church would move? That they would stop sitting on the sidelines and they would move into the areas that seem hopeless? That they would stop waiting for people to cry and look for the silent? That we would stop accepting mediocrity? Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.